Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about the crossover event between Acquisitions Incorporated and Dice Camera Action. Um, it's Dice Camera Action's 100th episode, so they have a bunch of stuff going on, as well as changing monsters to have a specific weakness that players need to find out before they can stop them. And finally, we talk about keeping track of time in your game, so let's go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. I see everybody in chat. We're ready to go. It's going to be a good show. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, lots of stuff is happening today uh, that we knew about but put in the back of our minds. And then as we were talking just before we started the stream, we're like, oh, my gosh, that's today. So... <laughs> In Dungeons & Dragons news, it is the 100th episode of Dice Camera Action, apparently. And so they are doing a big um, merger with the C-Team, Acquisitions Incorporated, the C-Team, and Dice Camera Action. And this weekend, they're going to stream like five games, six games, something like that, um, over yeah, on Twitch. Cast, everything. Yeah, so be sure to check out that. I unfortunately can't, but I will check it out later on the YouTubes because it sounds really exciting. Um, and... We were also talking about this, and now I'm curious. Uh, so I love Acquisitions Incorporated, but I did not get into the C-Team as much as I wanted to. I like all of those people. I love Jerry Holkins, um, but I, I just didn't get into it. And I feel like I need to go back and give it another college try. Um, and you had a good, or you were going to promote this to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when, when you watched it and you remembered it, how many episodes did you go before you just kind of said, I'm going to do other stuff? I want to say two or three probably. Yeah. On episode four or episode <laughs> number five, he stops the introduction part of his campaign, which feels a little bit like, I don't know, Alice in Wonderland, a little weird at first. It doesn't quite catch you. But the minute that's done, the minute they've um, done that piece and they get into the actual campaign that he has set for them, they're at the actual place where their home base is. They're going to start doing stuff. From that point on is when they really actually start. the, And that's where it is, where it just takes off and you see how good the characters are, how funny they are, all the funny jokes they're making, and just good role playing from that point on. But I know when I, I had mentioned it to a couple of friends to say, you gotta watch the C team, you gotta watch the C team. But that's because I was in like episode eight or nine and it was just right. really good. And they went back, watched episode one and two, and they're like, I don't know, it's it's kind of weird. They're they're been shrunk down and they're fighting giant mice or something. And it was just like, mm -hmm. they're like, I don't know, it didn't really D and D then that much, but that opening thing was kind of a weird fun house initiation for their team, which kind right. of throws some people off, I think. But if you get past that and you get to, okay, you're part of acquisition Inc. You're the C team. Here's what's going on from there on. It's just fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Really Cause good. they're like, uh, those opening episodes are them trying to get into the C team, like trying to yeah. go through the rigmarole of becoming part of acquisitions incorporated. So, right. Um, okay, no. Uh, yeah. Is there? It, I'm sure there is, but they made a podcast of it, didn't they? And you can download it in I podcast format. Think so yeah, 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 yeah. I think like when Critical Role did that, they were like, "Oh, we should probably do that too." Or maybe it was vice versa. Maybe they did it first. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I consume a lot of D and D shows podcast. as podcasts because I can <laughs> listen to them at work rather than watching them live or watching them yeah. at work. So yeah. 
Um, no, that's awesome. And I'm really excited for this stream. Like, I like Dice Camera Action. Um, like, Holly Conrad is one of my favorite internet celebrity people. So she's just fun and it's going to be cool. And Chris Perkins as a DM is always fun. Like, I love Chris Perkins. Uh, his DMing is just fun to watch. Like, he's just yeah. really creative. Um, <laughs> especially when there was an interview. Uh, about the acquisitions incorporated games that he was saying like, he's like, no, 90% of it is improv. Like I come with a full set of things and then they go off in a completely different direction. And that last game, uh, and I guess I shouldn't spoil it, but like there was something that happened where they like traveled planarly to a different plane of existence. And he was telling us that that was completely uh, on the spot improv and it just mm -hmm. blew my mind. I was like, that seems so solidified and that you planned it um, to, to have that, to just improv it like that is really spectacular. So yeah, and I, I saw a tweet uh, from Chris Perkins that said he and Jerry Hawkins rolled a dice and he won, so he gets to be the nice GM. I think is what it was, or it might have been Jerry that said it. That like he oh, rolled the yeah. dice and he got the nice one. So there's going to be a game where they're both in the same game at the same time as DMs. Yeah, which that's I'm really curious how that's going to work because I want to steal that idea for yeah. yeah and do like double dm games. stuff for later on that could be really cool our next show double dm yeah <laughs> dm cage match two dms enter one leaves and then oh, the other no, one leaves no a little while later makes. yeah yeah no party makes it out <laughs> so that's pretty good yeah and i thought um and, and again it was another slowish news cycle for them i think it's just because we're in the um I want to say we're in the convention mode summer yeah. um, season. So a lot of stuff gets announced at those things or they do a lot of those or a lot of their people are around. I think um, Jeremy might still be over in Europe at this point. He might not be back quite yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I did pick up a happy fun hour and a lore. You should know they did one segment. They usually they tape a couple segment segments on Twitch and you can watch them before they actually release them on their podcast. I believe yeah. is what they do as a as a one at a time yeah but this time because they backed up against a new show they were running which i think was the hell's bells show we only got to see one of the lore you should know okay. we didn't get to see the second one they so we'll have to see what that one is and that was all about monsters that like regenerate and come back um it was not so much lore but like monster theory is what it felt like to me um, that yeah. particular episode where they're just kind of talking about like, here's a mechanic that some of our monsters have and why they have it and why it's interesting, um, which is still fascinating. But I was just kind of like, I usually watch those cause I mean, I'm the lore guy. So I want to like watch the lore stuff. Um, yeah. and I was like, this is more monster mechanics. It's still very interesting, but not what I was ex expecting, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, it was cool to hear them talk a little bit about stuff like the Tarrasque or Naga mm -hmm. Flaming Skull, which was cool because I had just used one in an adventure not too long ago um, in our Crypts of Kelimbor adventure. They fought a Flaming Skull, mm -hmm. which was really cool. And I haven't done a Mummy Lord yet, but as they talked about it, I thought, oh, this could be kind of cool. Oh, and it was the idea of the thing I took out of that lore, you should know if you go back and watch it, that the thing I was kind of learning um, and morning blast Ronin as he jumps into the channel. Um, it was this idea of you can, as a GM or DM say that a creature has a specific trigger before it can be killed. Right. right. So you, on any that monster, you, like yeah, you on any, anything, any monster. really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you could say for that mummy Lord, if it was some urn they had to smash and then they were in a room full of 
I don't know, a hundred urns. And until they smashed the, the correct urn, that thing wasn't going down or wasn't going to die yeah. or was going to reconstitute itself or, you know, things like phylacteries and things mm. like, you know, anything that you could come up with. Um, so I thought that gave me a little more inspiration to think I got to keep that in mind. Cause that's always a good story hook. That's always a good um, way to throw off veteran players who are the, the ones that read through the monster manual constantly and mm. they know how all these things work and they're always worried the good ones are worried that they're going to metagame it so they try to play their character the right way that you know that maybe their character wouldn't know that kind of stuff but then the other ones you know you'll, you'll run into players that are going to use every piece of knowledge they've got to to, to beat them venture league style yeah um, but it's, well, it's cool what happened to, to me with that roper so <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's cool to be able to throw him a curveball to say yeah you know maybe it was a a mummy lord and maybe you thought it was exactly the way it was in the in the monster manual but guess what there's one extra little mechanic you need to figure yeah. out so you know cool. i had my players fought fight a vampire but i didn't do the vampire mist where it like goes back into its coffin and so i was like missed opportunity there but i do have a mummy lord waiting for them in that dungeon um, that oh, I'm really yeah. excited to run. So that'll be fun. Cool. <laughs> High level monsters can do one. some ridiculously cool stuff. So it's kind of, yeah. I'm really enjoying that my, now that I'm running a like level two game, cause I started a new game this week. Um, I'm appreciating higher level monsters with what they can do. It's, it's more fun, not more fun, but it's, it's a new experience as a DM to have these like toys to play with. So. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing for DM and GMs. We, as much as people will make fun of like the, the fun house, dungeon or whatever yeah the reason it even exists is because one of the things that gives some of us dms probably most of us dms the most fun is the idea of a new creature that the players haven't seen before of course there are gms i think that the fun comes from building a uniquely um winding narrative right and it has all these little things that are all these little tendrils that are out there that the players can find out mm -hmm. and then some gms are all about i made this huge world so i can't wait till they explore it and they go find these things and they they ask questions about it and i did all that but then i think a majority of us were like i just want to be able to flip through the book and say what and oboleth i don't think they've ever fought one of them mm -hmm. let's throw that in there so we want that kind of weird doesn't make any sense funhouseness to it to say well we fought wrote goblins we fought some kobolds now let's fight some slod let's fight some get yankee let's mm -hmm. fight some you know just start pulling stuff out of you know lava children yeah. i'm thinking of fiend folio because fiend folio is my favorite book of, of all times but <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just thinking of all the stuff i would go through there and like uh try to try to throw players at would just be cool so i think that's a big thing and happy fun hour coming from um mike merle's this is the first time he kind of deviated, as far as I can tell. I've been watching most of them from building a class or subclass, which is what he's been doing over the last few weeks. Right. Or weeks. But he dove into, he wanted to build a monster for his campaign, which was a, he called it the Flaming Skeletons, which I think we're in fourth edition. Um, but he wanted a version of them, or he wanted to get them into fifth edition, and he took that as an opportunity to say well here's how we think about creating new creatures here's how we go through it here's the things and what was really good about it i think everybody should go back and listen to it because there's a point in there about midway through where he talks about how their thinking was in fourth edition and how it changed 
or fifth edition. Mm -hmm. So there's a really cool idea of where their mindset was and how they did things when they were doing fourth edition and then how they refined it or changed it or made a difference in fifth edition to do it a slightly different way. An example of that was the resistances versus just saving throws. Like in, in, and I didn't play fourth edition. So it was interesting for me to hear the thought process behind that. Cause I want to go back and play a fourth edition game just yeah. so I'm, I'm up on it. And, but there was this, this fact of when certain creatures could have a resistance that you might have to roll against or higher than, or something like that versus they took all those out in fifth edition and just made you do a saving throw. Mm -hmm. They just went straight saving throw for, and the reason was is because they felt like so many people were missing that in the stat block that the GMs kept overlooking it or didn't see it. So it wasn't acting the way it was supposed to technically. So I thought that was interesting. So, and I have an adventure that I put together for you guys that I haven't quite run yet because I'm still searching and buying a house and doing all that crap. Um, but I have this adventure that I took that was a fourth edition from the Dragon Magazine adventure written by Chris Perkins and, and a couple of the edited by, actually I think it was edited by Chris Perkins and Jeremy and them back in the day. And I wanted to bring that into fifth edition and let a couple players run through a, a nice little side adventure, not a campaign, just a little side adventure. Um, and it was cool to, to get the, the muscles of converting something from one thing. Because if you can convert material into fifth edition if you get good enough to understand the balancing that they or their thought process of balancing and you can go and grab other material and then you can bring it into your game do you realize how big your theoretical fifth edition game can be when you can convert everything you've ever seen in fourth edition you could convert anything you've ever seen in third edition yeah you can convert something from pathfinder convert something from numenera once you get those muscles going of understanding how to convert it the right way and what their process was, you have an unlimited resource out there going to drive through RPG to find more content for yep. your for your campaigns. And that's big. That's huge yeah. for for GM. So I definitely encourage everybody to get out there and try a little bit of that. Build your own creature. Do a little like bit of that. Because like the puzzles are the same, right? Like mm -hmm. in those adventures, like a puzzle is a puzzle, a puzzle, a skill check is kind of like a skill check is a skill check. And so really you're converting monsters. And even then it's like you fight five goblins. You just kind of figure out, okay, I need seven goblins or I need four goblins instead of five because of the way my party is, is working. Like those older additions work really well. And then the boss monsters that are unique to that adventure, converting those over to fifth edition is, is not as difficult, I think, as people you know, think, or, or you can be what I do, like Jordan, you find an equivalent monster and you put a funny hat on it and call it the boss of this. So like, it's, yeah. I, I read a lot of older adventures for inspiration and I steal a lot of stuff because, um, the best DM steal, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. So that was pretty much the, I thought the shows that kind of came up, um, over the week as yeah. far as stuff you could check out. Um, I didn't catch a lot of the other shows that I typically will go through busy week for me, but like I missed some of the web DM stuff that they put out. I'll have to go back and look through it. And um, some of the other people I like, I did see um, Nate put together a really good learning D and D videos again. And he's been, he's doing it from, you can tell he's a teacher, which I think everybody knows that anybody that watches him, he, he comes at it from a very educator style. So if you want to learn how to do something or you want to learn a certain aspect, mm -hmm. he's got some cool stuff over at Nate at um, WASD 20. WASD. Yeah. I was just trying to add WASD. So he put out a couple of good videos that I'm going through to at the moment. So, but that I think was the news that I saw so far. I'm sure uh, Greg Tito was laughing because we're only, I think at this point, two months away from Waterdeep 
dropping already. So mm -hmm. already another book is coming pretty quick. And we should see in the next week or two, I want to say they, I think it was, it's got to be this next week because they said mid-July they had another announcement coming, I thought. Yeah, the 23rd or something. Yeah, the 23rd, I think. is So next week for sure we should have a little bit more, I think. So. Yeah, we'll see. Or is, or is that two weeks? No, that's 23rd. Math. Yeah. <laughs> it might be two weeks yeah. away. Might be two. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Monday the 23rd. So not next Saturday, next Saturday, but the Saturday after we'll have some more information and hopefully on their new campaign settings book that they're talking about making. Um, obviously, there might be some more information on Waterdeep, but uh, maybe not. Maybe they're going to keep that, you know, like obviously you don't want to give away the story, you know, so you want players to pick it up and buy it. Um, and you probably don't want to steal the thunder of your Waterdeep adventure that's yeah. coming out. So I'm, I'm, it's interesting what they're juggling and what they're pushing out at this point. Um, and then uh, something that was really quick, but like the internet kind of took it and blew up is on the Fireside chat, they uh, were answering questions from Twitch. And one of the questions was like, is Spelljammer confirmed? And Greg Tito just turns to the camera and goes, yes. Um, and I, it just kind of glossed over me and I was just like, oh, okay. Like they're joking around or whatever, but like people are, there's whole articles pay, written about it and like Spelljammer's confirmed. It's going to be this amazing thing and we're going to have Spelljammer and da, 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 So I'm wondering if their campaign settings book that they're making is going to include this or not. Uh, we'll see, but, but I love Spelljammer. So it would be cool to get some official fifth edition rules for Spelljammer, um, rather yeah, than converting old adventures. <laughs> Because is it going to be one of those things that everybody jumps on? Or is that one of those, we all have nostalgia about it right up until we get back into it and then realize, yeah. ah, okay, it was okay. It was cool. I think that's exactly but, it. I think people yeah. like the idea of it because it's weird and unique, but I don't think that many people actually played in a Spelljammer game. And so when they, when they actually play in a Spelljammer game, we'll see if they like it or not. Um, yeah. but I think people, people have a nostalgia for it or they just think it's, it's unique and interesting and like, Oh, of course I want D and D in space. Like, why not? That sounds yeah. amazing. Well, all it is is basically, you know, mixing your sci-fi with your fantasy basically is yeah. all it is. So yeah. I guess I think if you, if you like both genres, you're going to like it. Um, if you're, and if you, if you're a diehard sci-fi person, mm -hmm. that's really going to help you be, to be able to, cause that's, I think part of the popularity that came out for Pathfinders, um, uh, I'm Starfinder. Starfinder. Yeah, yeah, stars without numbers came to my mind. But Starfinder, there was a there was a bump there. I think it's died off. It didn't stay as high as that initial excitement level of what Starfinder was doing yeah. and like all these people going to it. But I think that's because there's a lot of fans that are looking for that right game that's going to pull them because there's a lot of sci-fi fans that want to be good role players. Yeah, and play, and play games. So yeah, I don't know. Sci-fi role playing is like. Starfinder didn't interest me as much as I thought it would. I read through kind of the core handbook and, and was just kind of like, well, maybe, but maybe Pathfinder wasn't for me either. Like, I don't know if mm -hmm. it's just a system that I wasn't as interested in. It seemed, I was trying to wrap my head around it, not having played. I, I wish I could find somebody who's running a Starfinder game and, and, and be included so that I could learn through play. Because the right. same thing with Numenera, like Numenera didn't really interest me until I started playing it. And now I really like Numenera. And so I keep thinking some of these games I need to just run. Um, uh, my cat is just going crazy in the corner, so it's <laughs> distracting me. But some of these <laughs> games I need to run um, or I need to play in in order to f get a sense if I want to run it or not. 
Um, Blades in the Dark is the same thing. I had a Blades in the Dark game a couple weeks ago. We had a lot of fun with it. Um, a game that I would probably never run because the the world is really unique, but not something that interests me. But now that we're in it and we're running and I'm playing in it, I'm having a lot of fun and the world has just like grown exponentially. And I'm like, this is really like really awesome. And there's a lot of meat here to play around yeah. with. So that's funny how a lot of those games will sneak up on you once you start playing them. Like you can you can look at them, you can read through them, and you might get a lukewarm kind mm-hmm. of reaction to them. But once you get a good story or a GM's really got you hooked in or or your character starts to resonate with you finally, yeah. like you're really starting to get into that mind space. It's just like, now it's really opening up. And if anybody wants a good sci-fi RPG, that's Numenera is the one I would always send them to because it's, yeah. it's so far sci-fi that it's almost turned back into fantasy again because they've gone so many millions of years into the future that technology just seems like magic to the to the people almost so like the common folk, find yeah. magic kind of stuff so it's kind of a cool spot to play that you're still doing sci-fi but it still feels D ish there's still people running around with swords and shields and things you know even though they might have some high-tech gear yeah here or there so and numenera 2 is coming out soon so it'd be a good yes. jumping on point you know so for sure i saw your correction there are you gonna do your uh small creature correction oh had. yeah i put it in our show notes of the last yeah. episode but we were talking about do gnomes and halflings because they're small creatures uh do they get a penalty to like great swords and things like that um and they do they have disadvantage on using heavy weapons in fifth edition so we looked it up because we are not infallible dms and we don't have every rule memorized <laughs> so we looked it up uh but yep. yeah you have disadvantage if you use heavy weapons if you're a gnome or a halfling so your so. gnome fighter what is your gnome fighter using or gnome barbarian would it which i used a short bow but i it it, the equipment was going to give me a long bow and i was struggling with the idea of could my gnome use a long bow or is there something equivalent to a gnomish long bow that does the 1d8 damage right Right. because that's what you're looking for when you're really thinking about it i want that 1d8 versus the 1d6 yeah yeah, i went short bow just because i i just had to make sense in my head (laughs) yeah but hey, I could buck the trend. I could use the longbow apparently, and I'll just take disadvantage when I do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's <laughs> funny. My mindset, like going from one d six to one d eight, that seems like a necessity. Like, oh my gosh, one d six is just not enough damage. I've got to, I've got to roll that d eight. But going from a d eight to a d ten, I do not feel the same way. Like no. if I'm going to a d ten, my mind is just like, well, I've got to go to a d twelve. Like that's that's way better than a d ten. A d ten, yeah. I'm I'm like, eh, I'll just do roll a d eight instead. Like that's fine. But yeah. it's the same thing. It's just plus two damage on the die. Um, average, right? Average, it's not yeah. even that. Yeah, average out, it might just be a one, a plus one yeah, overall that's damage true. throughout a campaign or whatever. But like that's but yeah, how my that's just how I feel. Like a D six yeah. is just not enough, but a D eight because I did it with my bard in Adventure League. I could have had two scimitars, and I did this for other reasons. But I could have had two scimitars that do D sixes, or a rapier that does D eight, and I went with the rapier because um it does more damage i really wanted that d8 but i also wanted my bonus action to be free for spells and stuff so yeah i twinked my guy because i wanted to do the same thing you're talking about but i wanted two long swords (laughs) Mm. and so i went through and got the feats that let me do it i got the the abilities that let me fight with that the abilities that let me add in the bonuses so i really twinked it out so that i could be a two long sword fighter basically (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the fighter in my home campaign is a two long sword fighter and yeah. they're strong. Does a lot of damage. Yeah, love it. Love it. Great so, class. So Mr. Lucian, what uh did you do in games this week? So busy got week? a couple of games in. Yeah, got got to play one, got to run one. 
Um, so Sunday, which would be tomorrow again, I believe we're playing and then we might have one off. Um, but we played our first session. We had session zero before that. And then this week, or it's weird to say week because right now, for some reason, my brain says a week is from the time I do Saturday morning D and D show to the next time I do Saturday morning D and D show. Right. <laughs> so we go Saturdays me. to Saturdays. Yeah. Saturday to Saturday is my week right now. So, um, so starting my week off on that Sunday, I drove over and we sat down and we we did a little bit of a fun adventure because he wanted to really change some combat mechanics. Um, he he has a desire to speed up the fifth edition combat mechanics but he had he had some stuff to experiment with that he wasn't sure was going to work or not and so we went through it and i feel like it was a little rocky it's a little rough um it didn't really speed things up it actually confused the players more i think at first but he did something that i thought was really good and i wanted to point out for sure was that he did a good job of recognizing that he put something you know introduced something talk to the players about it got their buy-in in the beginning in our session zero we went through a session and he didn't try to like just stick to his guns and say, Nope, this is how we're going to do it. It's like, he started thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go back to the way we do initiative instead of the way we did it. That didn't seem to really speed anything up, but I want to still keep this other aspect in because that seemed to work a little good. So he's experimenting and keeping us informed and then checking in with us at the end of the session just to get our input on it. And I think that's a really cool aspect of a gm to make sure all of us are doing in yeah. dms is just checking in with your players just keep understanding where they are and let them know that hey this is what i was trying to do did you guys feel like that did that work in that session mm -hmm. did you how did you guys feel about it so that you get that feedback because they're they're more than willing to give you you know actual feedback not just hey how'd the session go because they're going to go hey it went great you know and you're like okay perfect it went great but ask more leading questions that said okay I, I switched how we did combat there did you guys feel like it went quicker did you feel like it went slower don't just ask them did it go good right yeah. give them something to give you that feedback on that quantitative feedback that you can use to say okay whether my experiment worked or not and so i like that being was... upfront and just saying i want to try something new tonight like are we okay with that and i bet nine times out of ten they're going to be just fine with it like oh yeah. yeah let's try something new as long if it doesn't work we won't do it again so yeah, I think what he's doing as I'm analyzing it, and I'm looking at it from the GM point of view, is it seems like from a DM's perspective as he's telling his story, he wants all of the pieces to be moving simultaneously, right? Because the way 5th edition is, it's a very, you go first, you move, do your thing, then the next person goes, you move, you do your thing. And so it's very turn-based almost, where mm. he wants everybody to declare where they're going to move and we're going to move all the things at the same time. So different things can be in different areas because if you say, I'm going to move 30 feet forward and the, and the bad guy says he's moving 30 feet forward, you actually meet at 15 feet, right? Mm -hmm. Cause that's where you both collide. And I know that's what he wants to happen in his mind. And that's the way we think of the battles, but it's hard to actually do that in, me in mechanical play to say, okay, all movement simultaneous. So everybody declares movement and then it's simultaneous. So everybody goes to their spots at the same time. It's a little harder to do. I get where he's trying to go. I, it's cool that he's experimenting with it. Hopefully he lands on what he feels is really good. It's a different way. I think for me, I'm just sitting back and thinking 5e's combat's pretty good. I like it. I wouldn't change too much about it at this point, but it's cool to see somebody else, you know, take a shot at it or come at it from a different angle. Yeah. Um, 
So I was having fun. Uh, in that game, I am playing a fighter who hopes to be a gnomish fighter who hopes to be an arcane archer. Even at first level, firing my short bow um, with the high damage bonus of a nice high dex. And all of the creatures that we were fighting had pretty low hit points because he kept them pretty minion level creatures. Mm -hmm. That gnome wrecked everything. I mean, everything <laughs> I shot hit because it's like a plus six right from the beginning. I, I think I missed one arrow. And of my arrows, only one didn't absolutely kill the minute it hit. So it you get crazy. a damage bonus for your archery style that you took? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep, there's a little bit of a damage bonus. So it was kind of cool just to see just some of that damage come out. It was awesome. So <laughs> nice. So that's been pretty fun. Um, way, way more effective than I thought. So uh, another cool tip. Here's here's a tip for those of you that like to play games online, but you're going to play at a table. Um, I built my character on a sheet of paper, but then I went into Roll20 and created the same character and went back and rechecked all my bonuses and all my skill checks and all my saving throws and all my spells, DC saving throw numbers, my passives, because roll 20 does a really good job of making all, doing all that math for you when you create yeah. character. So I went back and checked and made sure that all my bonuses were the way they were supposed to. And I was wrong on a couple of them. So I went back and fixed them. So that was kind of cool. So pretty good adventure. It's a, uh, we, <clears throat> we came across a, a wagon that was actually being robbed, but they tried to play it off as if they it was their wagon and they had crashed. And we we saw through it and we went and tried to save a person that they had kidnapped. And so it was a pretty good battle, um, pretty good fun, and it was a good way to introduce our characters together. But we're still in that awkward state of each of our characters are kind of like trying to feel each other out a little bit. So mm -hmm. we'll see. We won't. We don't have the chemistry there quite yet, but we're we're starting to build on it. I think the group is a really cool and fun group. So. It's cool to throw actual dice, let them roll on the yeah. table. Love it. <laughs> then Thursday is my Borderlands game. Uh, so we played another session. And and this is the I new one, right? Oh, no. I'm thinking of the West Marches. No, Borderlands. Yeah, they Go ahead. quite finished. I have this boss fight set up for them. And they were at the lower part of the mountain. And they need to get up a couple of levels to get to it. And all I'm doing is instead of role playing out them moving through all the tunnels and stuff, I've just narrated it and then made them all make a group stealth check so basically do a group stealth check if if more than half pass nothing gets around them they're, they're able to avoid all of the trouble that they might get into and if they if they fail that group stealth check then i do a i did a random encounter because i had some roaming um bands of spiders that are roaming through the things looking for targets and stuff so they failed their first one so they had to fight another group of roaming uh, i was using giant wolf spiders which are fun eight giant wolf spiders just tackling and and uh killed one of their guides they have a darkling guide that's helping them move through the through the tunnels but they finally made it towards the end of that at the uh where the boss is and they found the token i use is a drider token so it basically looks like um if anybody doesn't know is like a half spider body half person yeah. body and in this case uh the bad guy for mine is a created kind of spider queen it was kind of my addition of what a spider queen might be and she was created by some crazy dark magic from a druid basically and so they have found her and here was the epic thing we got towards the end of the night and funny enough one of my players who's playing online he uh he ended up falling asleep on the other side 
and must have like the headphones must have fallen out or anything because he's there, but he can't hear anything. So we can't <laughs> actually wait. We're just waiting. We're just like, oh, that's super awkward. But we get it. We play at night. Everybody has real lives, people, yeah. you know, family people. And just sometimes it happens. So they got there and we decided it was about 1030. And instead of diving into that all of a sudden boss fight, I was like, they come to the room. They can see it's lit up. She's standing on a mountain of treasure. She's used some psionics kind of like um, messaging to, to say some funny things in their minds to get them all scared a little bit. And then just at the end of it, my uh, one of the clerics says, I begin to cast Shield of Faith. And I say, you see her raise her hand and your spell dissipates. And just the look on their faces when they weren't able to get off their Shield of Faith was... <laughs> classic it was so good there was like oh my god we just started a fight and the first spell i threw got countered oh my god what's about to happen and then yeah. we ended the session there they're going to come back next week and they're going to do this big battle and one of the cool things that i'm excited about this um this is exciting for me because i don't know how it's going to go out i built a hard deadly encounter on purpose i'm hoping that half their party dies <laughs> in my mind, because when I start the new campaign, what I wanted is some of the survivors of this party to be NPCs in the town of when we actually go live 50 years later, 40 years later, 50 years later type thing. So they're still there, they're old people, because most of the characters are young people um, that they're playing at the moment. So they're old, they're NPCs, they're no longer part of the thing, but they're at the town and only some of them have survived and there's a legend that's grown up about them. So to me, from a narrative aspect, right, that's GM-wise, I'm like, I want to kill half of them and I want half of them to live. I want it to be a cool story and now they're NPCs in my town. Now, that's not taking into account what the players want, right? Because the yeah. players <laughs> want to survive and they don't want their characters to die. They yeah. all want to be NPCs in the town because I've told them this little funny thing. So... I don't know what's going to happen and I think it's going to be really fun to see do they pull it off and they all make it out and they have a cool story and they win and that's cool and then we decide you know we figure out how a couple of them stay and a couple of them disappear and we never hear from them again type thing do they all die now what do I do you know oh, could this be a TPK was the did it just not quite make it or could it actually happen the way I'm hoping which is a little bit of half and half. And a couple of them are like, yeah, I, I think it'd be cool if I die in like a final stand to let my, let my friends get away. Cause you don't normally get that in D and D very often. This idea of, you know, the, the, the caves of Moria um, stand that Gandalf makes to let the, the hobbits continue, right? At the, you shall not pass on mm -hmm. the bridge moment, but we want that moment. Like if I'm running a, a fighter or a paladin or some big bruiser and I'm like, this is it. If I sacrifice myself, it'll give them enough time to run. We don't build adventures like that. Those don't happen very often to give you that moment. But man, if you can get it, it's super cool. So a couple of them are hoping that there's some big martyred moment that they can save their party and sacrifice themselves. That'd be kind of cool because um, they know we're going to be playing the new campaign. Yeah. So I want to jump in with that because yeah. uh, I, for I forgot to put this on our notes, but um, I played in a game of Dread on Sunday, last Sunday, and Dread is an RPG, it's a horror RPG where you play it with a Jenga tower. So anytime you want to make a move or you want to like do an action, you have to pull from this Jenga tower to the point where if it falls, like something catastrophic happens to you. But the cool thing about Dread is that you can, um, you can say, I want to just allow the Jenga tower to fall and then 
sacrifice your character for like the greater good. And I ended up doing that because I'm like, I don't know how we're going to get out of this situation. And story-wise, thematically-wise, it just made sense for my character to die right then. And so I mm-hmm. like knocked over the Jenga tower and I got to narrate my cool death and how I like saved the day kind of thing. And it's, I don't know, really, really uh, interesting system. Uh, and I yeah. think as a DM, we think like that too, like what you were saying, like, oh no, this yeah. would be really cool if you died right now. But in Dungeons and Dragons, your players want to live, so. <laughs> yeah. And you can't, you can't finely tune an adventure to make that kind of thing happen. Like no. you can say, there's no way you could plan out this way that I'm only going to kill two of the players, but four of them are going to survive and they're going to have to escape. And for some reason, the NPCs aren't following them or somehow it all works out and it's all dramatic and everybody thinks it's cool. But hey, I actually planned all that out. It doesn't work that way. Like you get to put your encounter there and then you just see what the heck happens when your players come up against it. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see. The other thing that's really cool I'm doing with this is I'm going to do a really fun thing um, that I did last time that the guys really liked is that if they defeat her and this room is filled with treasure, I'm going to open up the DMG classic style. I'm going to go to the roll tables and I'm going to have them start doing rolls and I'm going to let them randomly generate the hoard that of treasure that they just got okay. coming from one of the layer tables. Cause I always loved the random treasure and magic item and art and you know all the kind of stuff that you can get out of the dmg and just but i'm gonna let them roll the numbers so they get to roll the numbers and i'm gonna read to them what it is and i'm gonna be like all right you got this many you know thousand gold pieces you've got Mm -hmm. this many you know whatever it was oh you guys rolled for six different magic items let's go to the random table and see what's there just i just love that surprise of it wasn't just me thinking of everything or just putting it in there yeah it was this randomness that just happened that, yeah. that very D and D ish old school way to do, you know, kind of random generation stuff. So that's going to be really fun too. If they survive, if they die, well, Oh, well, <laughs> I guess we got a good story. <laughs> the nice. new campaign can start. Yeah. Now the new campaign should be start starting. Um, I'm trying to make it close enough that I will have my, strongholds and followers pdf from matt coville which i saw he put out a note that talked about it and Mm -hmm. i think we'll get the pdf in september but we won't get the physical book for after that he said that that's stretched out printing delays and stuff yeah yeah um but as long as i get the pdf by that september i think i can start in august maybe late august with the new campaign because nobody's going to be at the stronghold i can buy a stronghold point at that point but that I can get it going. Then I'll have that book. Cause I want to really have some good downtime sinks. I want to have really good options for the players to be able to say, I want to build a wizard's tower. I want to build a castle or a keep, you know, spend all this money. And I want to flood <clears throat> this adventure with lots of coinage and money and treasure and things they can do. But I also want them to have things they can buy and, and really actually need it for. So, um, trying to get all those things to come together. All my mechanics for traveling, all my mechanics for random tables. I've got my map pretty much set. I've got to craft the rules for anybody else that wants to jump in on this game. Cause I'm trying to do this thing where I say, if you can get a group together, you can agree to, Hey, we're going to play a game. You can contact me through a certain thing and say, do you have this slot open or this slot open to run a game? And I'll look at my schedule and it could be changing. And I could say, yep, this Friday I have some time, 8.30, I'm willing to run a game. If you can get your party together, I'll run your game. You grab your party, we go through, we do a cool adventure. 
instead of a scheduled, Hey, everybody let's meet on Friday and it's run that way. It's going to be more of a, you get your group together. First come first serve. I want to run games for people. Mm -hmm. Now I will still have my Monday game that I run for my, the group I'm playing right now, my, my normal group. And I will have a Thursday. I'm keeping Monday and Thursday as my two main slots. But if somebody gets a group together, their players can get together and they say, hey, do you have a Wednesday open this coming up Wednesday? And my schedule happens to work out that I do, then you might be lucky and I'll run you through a Wednesday night game and I'll try to keep all of those very so that we can get through them and there won't be ones that need extra sessions to play and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I want to be very careful about making each session a, a encompassed one adventure thing. So that'd be really cool. So yay, we got a yeah. follower. Hey, yay, followers. <laughs> All right, so that was my week um, in D&D. So I got to play and I got to run a game, which is nice. always the best balance. Yeah. <laughs> How was Jordan's week in game-related Dungeons & Dragons or other <laughs> RPG-ness. <laughs> um, no, I totally spaced on this Dread game that I played, but um, a local uh, theater company here in the town that I live in, they want to do a live uh, role-playing game, like in front of an audience. And they decided on Dread because they thought, like, well, we could kind of schedule it around, like, October. And so they, they contacted me because they knew that I did our role-playing games. And they so we just had a, a test, basically. Like, let's play Dread. Let's see and brainstorm ideas. Like, how can we make this interesting for an audience rather than just, like, the, the four of us around a table? Um, and it was a lot of fun. Like, we, I went with my wife, and we were a little nervous because we didn't know anybody, really. Um, I knew one guy at the table. Uh, and we didn't know, uh, the, the game or the story or anything like that, but, um, super fun. And the people were really nice and we had a great time and it was a murder mystery that turned into some kind of like evil monster that was uh, attacking us. And we were at a high school drinking party. Um, and so the whole thing was, we had to figure out this monster and like escape through the thing. But that game does tension really, really well. Like you start pulling from that Jenga tower and it's just really intense. Like you mm -hmm. feel like super, uh, well, just high tension, like, cause it's going to fall and you know that if it falls, you're basically dead. And so what do you do? Um, so dread was super fun. I would highly recommend that game, especially around Halloween and stuff. And it seems like it came with, uh, cause our dungeon master had a bunch of like PDFs and stuff that he had printed out. And it seems like it comes with enough plot hook ideas that you don't really have to be a master storyteller. Um, and our DM was even just like, he's like, I love this game, but I'm not a good actor, nor am I a good storyteller. So this is gonna be like a learning experience for him as well. He just really likes RPGs and thought it would be a fun thing to do in front of an audience, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like live in front of an audience, you're playing the game or you're playing as your characters live in front of the audience. We're physically playing the game. So they're gonna make yeah. like a Jenga tower so like that's Dan like- Harmon. Yeah, yeah, like Dan yeah. Harmon, like, uh, like any RPG in front of a live studio audience. So um, we're gonna get like a larger Jenga tower and then um, apparently you can, so that the audience can see it leaning and tipping and things like that. Um, and then if it falls, it's this huge thing that's more spectacular because it falls on stage and things like that. So it could be a lot of fun. Um, and I'm definitely interested in this because I just like the idea of, of using role-playing games as a performance. Like I think that's an interesting idea. And um, 
I haven't talked to them about this yet, but if we do it, I want to try and bring at least my audio recording equipment and record it. And then maybe we can put it up online or something and you guys can listen to yeah, Jordan cool. play a game of dread. So we'll see. Well, it's cool that they actually have you there or somehow you happen to be in that community at the same time, the perfect person for something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a friend who uh, runs the theater company and he discovered my channel. And so it's kind of like it circled back to like, Hey, we should get Jordan in on this. And so I was like, Oh, absolutely. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then I started a Hot Springs Island D&D 5th edition game with uh, some people from Adventure League. And we were all laughing that we are probably like the Adventure League success story where we randomly all showed up because we wanted to play. We found each other and then we started a game outside of Adventure League. Uh, and it's three guys and myself, so it's kind of a smaller group. And we might expand if we find some more people we want to add. But for right now, I'm like, yeah, we can just keep it as three. And then um, if people want to join, we'll figure out like who wants to join. And I have one other friend who might be interested in joining. So I'm going to talk to her about it just to get it to four. Four or five players seems to be like the sweet spot that I like playing games at or running games mm -hmm. for, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and five is the max at my table, like the amount of chairs that I have. So that's a good way to put people in. <laughs> um, really, really fun system. Hot Springs Island, basically a hex crawl. Oh, go. Wait a minute. Question. You brought them to your house? Yeah, yeah. Brought them to my house. So full on success story. Yeah, not yeah. only did you meet them, not only are they just random people, yep. but they're, they're good <laughs> enough players and trustful enough that yeah. you said, hey, come to my house, sit around my table yep. and play a game with me. That's cool. Well, that we were cool. we were talking about doing it at um, the game store and then uh, one of the players volunteered their house. And I'm like, you know, if I'm DMing this, I have all of my miniatures here. I have all my dice here, like uh, my books. I'd much rather just have them come over so that I don't have to haul that stuff other places. Um, and yeah, they're like trustworthy, nice people. So, well, I hope that they're trustworthy. I don't know them super well, but they seem... They seem like on the straight path, <laughs> like they're not going to burgle my house or anything like that. But yeah, no. Uh, and Hot Springs Island is a hex crawl, and I've never run a hex crawl either, where, you know, the entire map, they can go pretty much anywhere they want. So I chose a random place that I felt was a good starting location because, mm -hmm. again, Hot Springs Island says there's no anywhere with a beach you can start. So you can be on the left side of the map, the right side of the map, the south side, it doesn't matter. Um, so I started them on a beach. And basically said, here are the things you can do. And I forgot what those are, so I, I wrote them down. But you can um, you can investigate um, an area. So if you're already on a hex, you can investigate and learn more about what's going on in that hex. You can go to another hex, um, or you can uh, explore a point of interest. Um, so you can find a, like a point of interest and kind of explore. And each of those takes about four hours. So Hot Springs Island is really cool. They have, um, they recommend using poker chips. So you have like a red poker chip for sunrise, two white poker chips for the day, another red poker chip for sunset, and then two blue ones for night. And so you put these chips in front of your players and you say, what do you want to do? Well, we want to travel to that hex over there. And I'm like, okay, you travel. I remove one of those poker chips and then I roll a random encounter to see what they find. Um, mm -hmm. Prep-wise, this game scared the crap out of me because I was like, the, the day before and the day of, I'm flipping through this book being like, how do I, I can't have all of this memorized. Like, I don't know where they're gonna go and I don't know if they're gonna go north, south, east, or west. Like, I was really, I was panicked. Like, I was just like, 
this is not a normal adventure where I know that they're going to go in between page one to 20. And so right. I'm going to really read page one to 20 because I know like that's where they're going to go on this written adventure. This one, I'm like, I have no idea where you're going to go. It's uh, really is. I have to kind of read on the fly or take breaks and the game mm-hmm. says to take breaks. So it says like, Hey, like you roll randomly on this. It's a little bigger than you. Ins- you started, you tell your players, everybody go grab um, a drink and some chips. I'm going to spend like five minutes reading this so that I know what's going to happen. So, um, but it was really successful and my players loved the time system with the poker chips because one of them is a Durgar Ranger. And so when he's in direct sunlight, he has disadvantage on the attacks and the other one ha- is a sorcerer who can cast mage armor. And he said it was really helpful that if he knew he cast mage armor on this poker chip, it would last for yet one more poker chip. So he would have basically two, two four-hour sessions of mage armor because it lasts eight hours. Yeah, um, that's cool. I like that idea. I'm going to use that. Yeah, and that's that was the whole reason I bring it up is I really think that it's a fun, fun timekeeping mechanic to use in your D&D games. And I like that a lot where you can just be like, okay, like it feels like we've done four hours now. I'm going to move this poker chip over. Um, I know a little point Nick in, in chat was saying uh, he's getting ready to prep the open world portion of Storm King's Thunder. And as a person who's running Storm King's Thunder, that's chapter three, the infamous chapter yeah. three. And I know exactly what you're talking about because they give you 144 possible locations in the Sword Coast and your players could decide to go to any one of them. Yeah. So you're trying to figure out what the heck should I be prepping? Which one should I? And the prep is they give you a paragraph, but that doesn't mean they give you a full, hey, do you want to do a full-blown side adventure here? Do you just want to bypass it? Do you want to? run into something big so it's a big thing at first once you get going i think once you've done a couple of sessions you'll get the hang of it and that that anxiety will go away but open world does require a little bit more prep i think and like what you were saying just the written one sometimes um it's a lot yeah i don't know i don't think like i feel like i was over prepping once i actually ran it um, mm-hmm. And maybe this is Hot Springs Island specific. I haven't done Storm King's Thunder, but the the roll tables are so random that you kind of have to just like go with the flow of what you rolled and make it up. So they came across um, a bunch of like magma imps that were attacking each other um, in kind of like a, a fight club style. And they decided to ambush them because they were just like, I don't know, they, they're fighting each other, but they seem evil. Let's kill them. And I'm like, okay, that's your prerogative if that's what you want to do. Like they're setting up how these monsters are going to interact with them later on, which is really exciting. And so because they were mm-hmm. aggressive to the magma imps at the beginning, now those guys are gonna talk to each other because some of them escaped and they're gonna come back and be like, okay, like we need to ambush these guys. Um, yeah. The next encounter that I rolled was an Earth Elemental, which is CR5, and they're level two. So would have just completely demolished them. And I was really surprised because I'm like, okay, you find like a walking mound of stone that's lumbering through the forest lost. And he's like, I cast Chromatic Orb at it. And I'm just like, okay, well, hold on. You're, (laughs) we're going to say that it's like, 200 feet away like you just kind of see this thing and so you can't actually cast spells on it and he's like oh okay should we could we sneak around i'm like maybe if that's what you want to do because i'm like if you just straight up attack this thing it's gonna it's gonna clean your clock um yeah and then during their camping phase uh, i had them roll um perception checks to see to keep watch basically um one of them rolled a natural one so they had an encounter with um, a monster that they saw earlier. But but yeah, it was really fun. They explored um, a jungle area, they explored a volcano area, and then they saw some smoke coming from like a village because they went to the top of this volcano. And so they were like, oh, civilization, let's head that way. 
Um, and the entire point of the game <laughs> is that they're in service kind of uh, against their will to this company called the Martell Company that wants to explore the island and get gold. So whatever treasure they bring back off of the island will go to clearing their debt and allowing them to be free people again. So the nice. entire game is really just exploration and then see what factions they want to like ally with and see what's going on. Cause there's about three or four different plot threads throughout hot springs Island. But again, it's weird because it's not a linear story that I'm used to. Like I've read tomb of annihilation. I've read out of the abyss and those are very like, here's the path of progression. Uh, I've yeah. never ran a game where like, it's such an emphasis on exploration as opposed right. to any yeah. any other you know the three pillars of of role playing games. This one is 100% exploration, um, but I'm really liking it and I like Hot Springs Island and it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, and I think that's something I got to work on too with my open game world. It's this idea of if you're going to do an open game world, one of the cool things that can happen to players is they can come across things that aren't necessarily exactly the level they are so yeah. it could be really high cr it could be really low cr and it gives them ability and i think as a gm or a dm our challenge is to narrate the encounter the first sighting the first signs of those things in such a way they can glean some information to know if they should be cautious or not so it's the idea of the first thing you see is you come across like torn down trees and smashed trees in half or yeah you know so, or even a corpse of something or and th that starts to okay whatever we're following seems to be pretty tough and then when they get the first sight of it something that gives them that so it gives them some information because they're adventurers they live in a world that's dangerous mm -hmm. they're playing people technically that would have these kinds of thoughts and understandings of how to judge what's dangerous or not in fact they probably would have a much better concept of that than we do Right. Yeah. We, we might walk through the jungle and see something and go, ah, I don't know how tough that is, but in reality, it's super tough, you know, yeah. or whatever. So I think sometimes we don't give our characters as much credit and we, we, we forget our players don't have that same knowledge that they might have. Yeah. But for, as DMs, we got to practice on giving them the good information, narrating the good. So if they make the bad decision, well, Okay, make yeah. a bad decision. You, they fight make the bad, you can always roll a new character or run away um, and see what ha happens. Yeah. And I think if they had attacked that elemental, I would have said like, because the elemental was lost, he was not aggressive, but he would have defended himself, but he probably wouldn't have defended himself to the point of like, if you guys backed off, he would have just gone back to trying to figure out where he was and, and, mm -hmm. and left them alone. But yeah. he definitely would have one-shotted them a lot. <laughs> like, or, or the idea, too, that creatures don't always just attack to wipe everything out. They right. might, If they got attacked, they might turn around, attack several of the players until they're down, then make the judgment call of, okay, they can't hurt me any longer. Yeah. There's, they're no danger to me. I'm going to ignore them because I don't really care anymore. I've mm -hmm. done enough. I'm going to move on too often. I think we, and I probably do it in my campaigns a little too much too of the fight to the death. Once the encounter started, it's not over until everybody's down. You know? yeah. It's just like, so yeah, I think that's something we can all make sure we're, we're practicing and exercising the idea of good clues during encounters, good reasons for them to retreat or stop fighting at some point, good points for negotiation for trying because my party would have seen that and the first question they would have said to you jordan is they would have asked if they could talk to it yeah 
And I was just like, you know, that's how some of my party is. You know, they're just like, hey, let's try to talk to it. And they've tried to talk to like a chimera <laughs> as, it, as it started to tear into their party. So they're just, you never know what players yeah. are going to. I hope these guys do try to talk to people in the future because uh, they didn't talk to the imps and they were actually surprised when the imps were talking back to them like, hey, what are you doing? Um, and they were just like, oh, they can talk. And I'm like, yeah, these are intelligent creatures. Like Hot Springs Island is full of intelligent creatures. You guys are <laughs> going to run into some some more of them. So you might yeah, want to figure that out. Um, yeah. And especially when they go north to this tribe, it'll be interesting to see if they attack it or if they decide to um, to communicate with them. Uh, yeah, so I'm having lots of fun with that. Uh, and then I did Adventure League on Thursday, and that's that's always just kind of fun. They talked to me about DMing again, so I'm just like, I need you guys to make up your mind because I talked to one guy, and he was just like, we have plenty of DMs, and the other guy was like, when are you going to start DMing? Um, but now that I'm running two games a week, I probably won't DM for Adventure League just because that's me DMing three games a week. Um, and I'd much rather DM two and play in one. Uh, so we'll see. I want to at least finish this Forge of Fury that we're going through, part of the Tales of the Yawning Portal, um, and finish that uh, that module first. We encountered a ghost in that module. We walked into a room. This ghost attacked us. I failed my charisma th saving throw, so I aged 60 years by staring at it. Um, I'm a half-elf. So I think I'm going to just say that my half-elf has like, you know, white or grayish hair now because that was really fun for me. Um, and mm -hmm. then the ghost decided to possess me and we figured out that the only way to really get the ghost out is to drop you to zero hit points um, yes. because we don't have a lot of these spells that are level five, level four spells that allow you to uh, get somebody unpossessed to exercise the demon. Um, <laughs> So I went to zero hit points and then rolled a natural 20 on my death save to stand up. And then I walked away from the ghost. He did a opportunity attack. It was a natural 20 and he ended up doing 29 points of damage to me of which my hit point maximum is 31. So I was like two points away from permadeath. Uh, it was, I don't know. I've never experienced that before. Cause I obviously don't get to play a lot, but like that was really intense. And we were all yeah. like biting our nails. Like is Jordan going to survive? So <laughs> lots of fun. I there. love the ghost fight. Oh, I put one in, in the borderlands mm -hmm. several sessions ago. One of our players failed their charisma human mm -hmm. aged like 40 years. So went from like 17 to 57 yeah. or something and they really and at first it hit him like a, a truck because well actually he was okay with it but at the end of it they all tried to heal him and then they asked me questions like well does he does he turn back to being 17 i'm like no and it was like you, i kicked him in the gut when yeah. he heard, I'm like, wait a minute what i'm 67 i'm an old man this whole time and i'm like yeah there's there's no spell that's just going to turn that around unless you get some really high level yeah stuff. and it i was asked like, the same oh thing <laughs> I asked the same thing. I'm like, can I reverse this? And they're just like, yeah, but you're going to have to go to a temple and pay some money to get like a higher level spellcaster to do some stuff to you. And we're not in a position to leave the tomb right now or the, the forge that we're in. So it's just kind of like, I guess I'm just old for a little bit until I can go back to a place and maybe see if they can reverse it, if they can reverse it, because my DM said that I need to do it within 24 hours. Right. Um, and I'm just permanent. like, okay, it's at least, you know, 16 hours to get back to the, uh, to get back to town. So I might just be old, but yeah. I think it's a cool like battle scar for my character in a way. So, yeah. 
There was another follow for us from Mason Marie. And the one before that was Pierce Sternum was our follow for today. A couple follows. So thank you guys. Cool. Yeah, thanks for following. What's, what's super cool about that too is that I read that in the thing and I didn't realize it. I put the ghost in before I read that portion of the attack. Mm -hmm. And I used it as a really cool um, opportunity. So for several weeks, he role played the old man. And they all started joking. He's the old man and he acted yeah. old and he was slower and he had arthritis and his, his joints were like, he wanted to, when he got to fourth level, he wanted to multi-class into warlock and he wanted to do the great old one as his um, patron. Mm -hmm. And so we did a scene where he's in a dream world. He gets sucked into a dream world. He has this cool moment where he meets and his mind nearly breaks from meeting the great old one and being offered power if he would accept it. And at the end of it, he awakes and he's back to 17 years old again. And hmm. his party is already off adventuring because he had stayed behind because he missed a session the week before. So what we said is he was sick and he was had to stay behind and he would try to catch up if he could. So his party had left. Yeah. Then a portal opened, a nice dark black, oily black portal opens created by the great one he walks through it and he catches up with his party so here comes the young character that they all have known as old man now for so long he's young he's vibrant he's got a really crazy tinge to his voice he changed how he was doing his voice now so it was a cool way to put a narrative piece in there gm wise to say turn that hey i don't want to be 60 years old yeah <laughs> let's turn it into something cool narrative that they're always going to remember and that scene was awesome the way they all played it because th he came through they had no idea i was going to do it and i told him what you see is your is your buddy your friend he walks through a portal nobody's ever been able to portal in the game so that was to put him on edge and then he's 17 years old that put him on edge and then he starts using this weird funny cackling voice and like he's kind of crazy and now they're like we need to kill our own party member and they're whispering to each other and it's like the great old one what's going on and it was just really cool so it was a really cool rp moment and a, what produced that was a ghost with a crazy ability that aged somebody yeah just amazing <laughs> no it's awesome super fun uh it it obviously left an impact on us too like it's a memorable moment so yeah, you're gonna remember um, and, that on your bard for sure. Oh yeah, like it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. And if I go to future tables, I can be like, I am a young young at heart, but old in body because I saw this ghost, and it's just kind of cool. So, um, great. So well, with that, I think we're done with our show for the day. So I want to say thank you guys for coming out and chat and chatting with us. It's always great to have you guys, and the conversation um, that uh, happens is just wonderful. So thank you guys so much for coming out. Um, thank you guys for watching and liking on YouTube. Uh, it always helps the channel grow, which is really awesome. And I am about to get dressed and go to a Comic-Con. So follow me on Twitter, um, at Jordan with a PH in the middle. And I will be posting all of my silly cosplay pictures that we're about to go to a Comic-Con here locally. So that's going to be lots of fun. And you can follow Sir Lucian on YouTube or on Twitter Yay. and YouTube, but on Twitter at, at Sir Lucian Gaming. Um, yeah, links in the doobly-doo for that. And links in the chat right now for all that stuff. Thanks for all the people showing up. We had a great show. Lots of new new faces there too. So show back up for next Saturday. And uh, this is great. Can't wait for our next one. Yep. We'll see you guys next Saturday with more Saturday morning D&D show. Goodbye, everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.